This is Artist Stories, featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County. I'm Janae Sanchez, and today I'm joined by Natalie Brewster Wynn, artist, activist, educator, founder, and director of Splinter Collective. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation, Natalie. So happy to be here. Thanks for asking. Great. So let's just jump right in. So the Splinter Collective is a Project Creoso Cycle 2 grantee. Congratulations on your award. Thanks. You're welcome. So can you tell us more about Splinter Collective and how the organization and community space came to be? Sure. Um, It's a pretty fun story, actually. So this building was built in 1920 and has been in the hands of artists since the 60s on and off. Um, But it has a kind of a legendary history of having these big rent parties and a trippy train mural on the side. So it's passed through the hands of many artists and arts groups. I came to live in this space about 10 or 11 years ago. I had been invited to perform here 15 years ago or something, um, and we did this multimedia show with a number of artists, and it was a it was a really amazing experience. And the previous owner, Elizabeth Tobias, had dreams of kind of upgrading the space and creating a performance art hub and an arts hub here. And she just was never quite able to realize that vision because she lives in Southern California and she had sort of had plans to spend more time here. But in the end, just it just wasn't really in the cards for her. And so I met the space that way. And then when I was living in LA for a little while and planning to move back here after a brief hiatus, I um, was looking for a place to move into. And uh, she just happened to send me this email saying, you know, this this space is available for rent. So long story short, it really just fell into my lap in this really magical way. And it was exactly where I needed to be between two co-parents who had moved. Um, we'd all lived in one big collective house and then moved separately, but I wanted to be close to them with my kids and things like that. And this space was dead in the middle of the two of them, like two blocks from either one. It was kind of magical. So it was magical how I came to live in it. And then over the course of the the next, you know, eight years that I was living here, we discussed several times the idea of me buying this place. And I really wanted to, um, but, you know, it was a big lift. It was expensive. I didn't have the money. And we kind of went back and forth about it over the years because I just saw so much potential in this space and it wasn't happening um, with with her not being on site. And basically the stars aligned and in 2019, she was finally ready to sell it. I was finally ready to buy it. Uh, I've never worked so hard in my life trying to make something happen. Um, and then we closed uh, January 31st of 2020, which was pretty scary because it was a really huge lift. It was recognizing this dream that I'd had for a decade. And then I was so excited to start throwing events and having things happen and activating the space. And then the lockdown happened, but it was a blessing in a lot of ways because I really needed that time to figure out how to run this place and this business and what, what that was going to look like. Um, to now Splinter Collective has multiple arms. So we sort of have the, just the regular real estate piece. I guess I should have said this first. (laughs) 
I'll start, I'll start here now. You can put it before if you want to, but so Splinter Collective is a historic warehouse that has uh, 13 units in it, um, 11 art studios and two live units, as well as a courtyard event space. And the event space is a nonprofit where we really focus on amplifying marginalized voices and really creating space for community organizations, individuals to realize their um, performance and production dreams. So with whatever space that we have, people have created really incredible different things. So everything from drag shows to curated art markets to we have regular series here. We have a poetry series the third weekend of the month, the third Saturday of every month. Um, we have a regular art bazaar on the first Sunday of every month and fry bread sale. We have other poetry events. We have a really amazing um, electric music crew that throws a different show last night we had one called electro skirt it was all women in electronic music it was beautiful um yeah so we do big fundraisers we have a regular series called under the knife that's a dance party fundraiser for a different person each month raising money for gender affirming surgery um so we just have these opportunities to kind of allow community to do the things that they know they can do and want to do uh we've been basically operating the event space since we were able to reopen in around March of 2021. And then we shut down for Omicron for a little while. So it's been a little bit back and forth, but it's been nice because it's an outdoor event space. And so that's been reasonable to do things during COVID. Um, and so, yeah, really wonderful. And we also do a lot of work around housing justice and neighborhood community organizing. We have a really close relationship with a lot of folks who are unsheltered or who live outside in the neighborhood. So we provide a lot of resources like a free store and um, a charging station for folks to come and charge their devices with some outdoor microwaves and coaster ovens and things. So we really try to integrate art and social justice and community building into the neighborhood. It's so beautiful. Um, you know, I'm going through your website and uh, it's just like, is this space real? Does this truly exist? Right. I think all of the, the events that are happening are geared towards a purpose that is rooted in social justice. You're living out the values and the mission of the organization in every single way that it exists, whether it's for public events or just like as a space that is utilized by community members. It's incredible. Congratulations. Uh, and I can't yeah. wait to see how it continues to grow and evolve and meet the needs of, of the community, right? Because that's always changing. And it sounds like it's a space of listening as well. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. So the, the Creosote grant that we received, we're really grateful for. And basically what I wrote that grant for was to build in a little bit of funding so that we are able to have some staff there to support programming for each event, basically, and not have to depend entirely on donations or door fees or whatever. And, you know, a lot of our communities just don't have the kind of capital to sort of have a few hundred dollars up front to be able to produce what they need to produce. And just that little bit of help and that little bit of staff support is enough to enable like really beautiful events to flourish without 
having to squeeze our community or to, or to really put people out. And so that funding is really helpful. And I think it's incredible how resourceful our communities are and how little they actually need. You know, people can really make a couple hundred bucks stretch, stretch a long way. So if that's been really exciting and has given me some relief around just feeling like supporting all these events and making sure people don't aren't put out or that, you know, we're entirely depending on volunteers because I want people to be, I want artists to be getting paid and I want staff to be getting paid and I want people to be able to support their livelihoods through the arts and not always have to work all these other mind numbing jobs just to be able to make enough to produce the work that you want to produce. Well, I know that the Arts Foundation staff is really proud to be behind this project, so can't wait to see what else comes to be. Absolutely. Why don't we go back in time now? Can you share some of the roots of your artistic practice? And is there a moment when you knew that you wanted to pursue a career as a creative and as, as a, an artist, an activist? There isn't really a pinpoint, but it was pretty young. I started writing... Um, poetry very young and I think developed a passion for it when I was still in grade school you know Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just really into literature and reading and dance and performance and music and um, I my mother's a piano teacher so I grew up in a musical house and was trained classically initially Um, and I've just always been really enthusiastic about all kinds of things and the arts. And so when I was young, I was just anything I could get my hands on, whether it was, you know, dance classes or music lessons or, you know, theater in the summer or whatever. Um, And I think writing was really my first love. And so then, you know, I, I kind of envisioned myself being a writer or at least having that be a big part of my life and an artistic practice. And wrote really prolifically from kind of grade school on and basically never stopped. But um, yeah, that was the first thing. And then discovered sort of slam poetry and performance poetry when I was in high school. That was really fun. Did a lot of musical theater. And then when I, I left home pretty early and um, left, you know, dropped out of high school and went to pursue this kind of life and yeah, joined a, joined a punk arts orchestra and started doing all kinds of different performance art around 17, 18. And that was probably when I really understood my path as an artist more. Amazing. So all of this was taking place in Chicago? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And to be clear, also that whole time as uh, I had, I have a really strong background in the Unitarian Universalist Church and there's... Um, and I'd always wanted to be an activist, you know, also from a, from a really small age, was very interested in social change. And I think a lot of young people, like a lot of young people, I became interested in environmental activism and animal rights and things like that. Looking at these kind of global issues when I was really small and then really wanting to find ways to affect change. So through the Unitarian Universalist Church, they, we have a sort of strong social justice lens Mm -hmm. and I was able to get a lot of kind of training and mentorship and work with that community to learn how to become a leader and how to do community organizing and grassroots organizing. Oh amazing. So how did you land in the desert and what made you decide to stay here and and build your career as a 
as an artist, as an activist, right? As a building owner, community organizer, yeah. all those things. Yeah. Well, um, it's cute because the story has a little something to do with the Arts Foundation. I've also been a sex worker since I was young, like since I was 18 or so. And um, in back then, 20 something years ago, there was not a lot of information out there. There was not a lot of organizing, but it was a, it was a space in which I really wanted to be doing activism and organizing and fighting for our rights. And we, my close friend and I heard about this sex worker art and film festival that was happening in Tucson, Arizona. So we took a scrappy road trip across the country to come in and check out this thing that we didn't really know anything about. And we arrived here and that festival was um, being supported in part by TPAC, the Tucson Pima Arts Council at the time. And I was just so impressed that this really innovative, progressive festival was happening with all of these important voices and that the city in part was supporting this happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just a really beautiful thing. And I think that was the beginning of when I fell in love with Tucson. Uh, I was very impressed with the community. I was impressed with the small arts burgeoning art scene here. I just really liked it. And then I continued coming back for, that was probably in the 2000 or 2001. And I continued coming back and, and touring. I toured through here a few times. I performed at that festival multiple times and taught and just kept falling in love with Tucson more. I was really impressed with the sex worker community here. Mm -hmm. And then I just got really tired of Chicago winters and <laughs> wanted to move somewhere that was closer to nature and a little bit smaller and just do different things. And so I was traveling around. I lived in Southern Mexico for a while and then eventually just had an opportunity to land here and live with a friend and didn't imagine that I would stay forever, but have never wanted to leave. Nice. How do you feel like the desert uh, has impacted your work, like your artistic output? There's um, a lot of the work that I do has some sort of, you know, ritual component to it, some sort of installation component to it. And so I've been doing a series, for instance, since my daughter, who is now 15, um, was five. And so for the last 10 years, or maybe a little more. Um, and that, that piece is really about as much about the work and about her as it is about the landscape in which it occurs. So it's called Love Letters Leave No Trace. And the roots of that project were about the emotional, environmental, and psychological impact of human celebration. And so it, the roots of it are from the imagery of children's birthday parties and how as a parent, I found it really frustrating. As a parent and an artist, I find the kind of the lack of artistry and what we give our children really frustrating, where it's just like all of this kind of like brightly colored plastic garbage. And um, it just made me think a lot. I, I really like balloons also, but balloons are just become garbage. And so uh, this image of sort of people having, I was at Reed Park and this family was having a birthday party and there's, you know, all these presents and all this wrapping paper. And, and then after the party, they were just cleaning up and it was just bag after bag of like plastic water bottles and, and, uh, wrapping paper and paper plates and all these things. And then they cut the strings of all these balloons and let them fly away. And, um, it just, it, it just had this profound impact on me, the way that we, and it's, it's sort of like 
not to pass judgment, right? It's neither good nor bad nor saying that family was horrible or anything like that, but it just gave me pause and made me think a lot about how we interact with our landscapes and um, the impact that art and celebration has. It's so, so important and it's such an important ritual and part of our lives. And it's something that we do create a lot of, you know, physical garbage. We, we have these huge celebrations that have these major sort of environmental impacts on places. And it was just a way of exploring that narrative and thinking about it with, um, with my daughter. So for each chapter of this, we take a bunch of balloons and I choose a text that has something to do with some aspect of childhood development. We've done, you know, Les Feinberg's words around gender. We've done, um, you know, the first one was about, um, like zero waste stuff and uh, different different poetry and different different pieces of writing and then take that text explode it onto balloons so each balloon has a couple of words on it that are a part of this story and then my daughter installs those balloons in the landscape that we choose and then it becomes this sort of almost moving like tarot card because the words shift and change and take on different meaning as they interact with the environment and her and the places that they go and the, some of the balloons try to escape and it's always interesting which words um, go where. And so, yeah, I think that the desert is so expansive. Like we have this experience of the big sky here and that's influenced my work around working with projection, thinking about just kind of these like broader scale, more expansive projects. And I've definitely worked it in collaboration with the desert so many times throughout the years. And it's been a really beautiful experience to do that. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. You work in the intersections of art and social justice. Can you talk about a moment when you saw the two just really making an extraordinary impact and, you know, an impact that has like stayed with you and inspired you to continue working right in, in this, in these intersections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we were talking the other day around um, when we were getting prepared for this around, I'm, I'm so interested in, in looking at the way art can actually become a solution to social issues and rather than art just being social commentary, art actually being a solution in and of itself, I think of ways in which people have done really amazing recording and radio projects by taking recording devices into more remote places, into places where communities are really struggling against the government or the paramilitary or corporations. And people have been able to sort of provide recording information um, devices and, and get people's real stories from those places and bring them back to inform the rest of the world what's happening. There's really important illumination that happens that way. I think really storytelling is such an important part of social justice because it's what connects us to the struggles of others and, and makes us feel empathy or feel concern. And so art has a very deep relationship to that type of storytelling. I also think of the artistic memorials that we create after, you know, anything is big as the Holocaust or 9-11, right? There are these, these really powerful public you know, art spaces that are in relationship to that. And recently I had the opportunity, I was in, in Minneapolis last summer and went to George Floyd Square. And 
it's still like it, it's still an evolving, thriving, deeply powerful space. I mean, I've seen pictures of it, obviously, but seeing it in person was just like um, really did something to me, you know. And one of the things was just thinking about there's a gas station there on the corner and that gas station has completely been taken over by the people, you know, and there's just gardens everywhere and ritual space. And it's a place where people now go and interact and tell their stories and different people caretake the space. Uh, And it, it makes something where, you know, a social movement can easily lose momentum and we have to really keep building momentum if we want to create actual change. And those, artistic pieces and those public rituals and public memorial spaces and the ongoing storytelling and the work that comes out of people's experiences with social justice is is a big part of keeping that momentum going. And I think it also helps to prevent um, just the burnout that can happen when you're doing endless community organizing, which is just like, you know, phone calls and meetings and emails and letters to the city or letters to, you know, um, so the art can be such a sweet, relief and such a powerful emotional tool to keep yourself connected to the work. You know, thinking back to the George Floyd Memorial, uh, I hope to get to that site one day, but there must be like so much organizing happening, right? And keeping that place flourishing and cared for. Yeah. I mean, it's remarkably, certainly the city has made certain decisions around, you know, where traffic goes and doesn't Mm -hmm. go around that area and things like that. But Remarkably, it's it's. I'm sure there are community organizations that are you know actively organizing and fundraising, and I don't know the ins and outs of all of it, but I do know for a fact that there are a number of people who are just individuals that just choose to come and put their energy into that space. They show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they show up every day to you know just hold space for other people or to clean or to you know things like that. Can you share some of your influences personally and artistically? Yeah, that is a good question. I certainly think of a lot of artists who have had a big impact on me in ways that are sort of that it's hard to even put my finger on. But, you know, I think about Leslie Marmon Silko as an author who is from here and who I read before I moved out here. But um, her book, Almanac of the Dead, really just sticks in my mind as something really, really powerful that showed me a lot of the way, you know, she weaves together all these stories, including um, stories of prisoners. And um, I think a lot about abolition. It's a, it's a big part of my kind of political leanings and and thought around social justice. Uh, Janet Cardiff is a sound binaural artist that I just, um, had the opportunity to listen to one of her pieces. She does these binaural walks and um, she had one in Central Park that I was, I experienced in like, I don't know, 2003. And it's such a powerful layering of placemaking and art artistry in a public space that was accessible and free to anybody who wanted to do it. And so um, those kinds of things of, of these just really incredible offerings that artists create that, um, are there for people to experience and then so moving. Um, I have several dear friends who were sort of like, I've been really lucky to have as peers who 
we've kind of grown together both in activism and in um, artistry. So a few peers, I have a dear friend, Nigel Whitson, and we've had the opportunity to collaborate a few times, but then also I, I just uh, love kind of growing alongside artists and seeing what we're both doing in different ways. Um, lots and lots of queer artists. I grew up in the kind of queer burlesque scene in Chicago, lots of like kink performers, um, lots of, uh, you know, queer burlesque stars, drag shows, all that kind of thing. Um, those had a big influence on me. And that was the community in which I was really growing up was just innovative poets, performers, you know, queer magic humans <laughs> creating really innovative and interesting work. Um, so we were all kind of co-creating that together. I also had a, a dear friend um, who's really a big influence and family member and mentor of mine, um, Reverend Joseph Santos Lyons, who's now in the Philippines, but he really uh, took me under his wing when I was in my teens and he was not much older, but he was really powerful grassroots organizer still to this day. And, um, he really helped sort of set me on this path of just continuing to like find leadership opportunities, find mentorship opportunities, find funding to send me off to trainings and things. Um, so I was really grateful for him back then. Um, other, you know, really powerful leaders in the UU church that showed me what grassroots organizing and social justice as, as like a compass North central identity looks like and yeah and then i've also done a lot of work with uh, la pocha nostra and the and guillermo gomez Peña and that kind of broad crew of <clears throat> performance artists and then all of that cohort that extends out and that has been a really wonderful collaborative experience and um, residency experience that i've been in I've been in community with them and learning from them and learning with them um, for a long time uh, and as a you know weirdo performance artist it's definitely <laughs> been a big part of of creating um what I would call some like gravitas around the work like making me <clears throat> really think about uh, an artistic practice as um, something to take really seriously which was important for me when I started working with them 15 years ago or so such a full like list i'm sure there's I know. more but it's so <laughs> no, talking, but i love it because you know you touch on the early years right and then what's happening now and i love how you talked about your peers right i, I feel exactly the same way I, I feel like my peers are my biggest influences right now and that's how we met as well was exactly La Pocha, so really, really special and really special connections and opportunities to build and grow. Ooh, I do want to mention one of my favorite artists right now is a person named Alok, and I would encourage everyone to go follow this person and read their work. Mm -hmm. um, they are just this- How do you spell it? A-L-O-K. Um, Alok V. Manon, but I think now they're just going by Alok, but they are like a fashion icon um, and they do, and a historian and a poet, and they do all this work around the sort of colonial history of shaving. They're very hirsute mm. and they just deal with all of this, um, all of this hatred on the internet, of course. And they just mm -hmm. are relentlessly showering beauty on the world in spite of it. And it's, it's a really, it's a really powerful thing. And their words are just so beautiful. So they're like my shining star person mm -hmm. that I'm following a lot right now. Uh, I'll have to check them out. Thank you. 
Natalie, you are an, an artist's mom and you co-parent in community as well. Can you talk about some of those memorable moments of raising children as an artist and yeah, anything else you want to talk about in terms of being a co-parent as well? Yeah, there's a number of things. Um, one of the most beautiful things here at Splinter Collective is that, you know, we as a co-parent, there's sort of been different generations of of young people, of kids that we've raised. And my daughter is 15 now, my biological daughter, but we had a sort of generation of older kids who are now in their 20s that we raised as well. And one of them was our older kid's best friend. And she ended up living with us on and off over the years. And we really ended up raising her a lot. And then um, recently, like last year, when I really needed to hire somebody to be like my right-hand person here at Splinter Collective because it just was becoming way too much and there was no way I could do all of it on my own. One of Rona, one of those kids from the previous generation was like, oh, I want to do that job. I want to work with you. And I was like, and it's just been incredible to have this person also who I've had a hand in raising to some degree and whose, you know, whose life I understand and who understands my life and that we are able to kind of co-create this project together and bring on this incredible team also of people who are helping to co-curate the space. So really grateful for, for that. And around parenting, it can be such a, I don't know, you know, I think, I don't know why people feel like, um, Parenting obviously does change you so much, but as artists, I think we're always looking for ways to integrate our artistic practice with our kids' lives in some sort of way. And not just to, you know, create work for children, but to really bring our children into our work, you know, and collaborate with them. And so I think it's wonderful to expose them to the the behind the scenes, the the working part of being a working artist. And one of my favorite memories that's just so silly was for some reason, all the other parents weren't available or they were out of town or something. And I was in a, a play, I was acting in a play with Borderlands Theater and we were in tech week. So, you know, super long, late hours, every single day rehearsals. And I just had, I was had nothing else, had no other way to sort of deal with my kids other than just be like, well, I'm going to just bring you to rehearsal and I'm going to put you to bed there. And so brought, you know, camping pads and pillows and bedtime <laughs> stories and set them up underneath the, the um, theater benches in the audience. And, you know, that's where they went to sleep that night and while we were rehearsing and they are, yeah, it was so funny and cute. And that's just kind of how you do it. And my kids have become, because of that and, you know, traveling all over the world with all kinds of different activists and artistic projects, uh, they've just become really adaptable. Mm-hmm. They're really excellent travelers. I really trust them in all kinds of different communities across all kinds of different cultures and class lines. Um, and I trust that they kind of know how to act and be in community with lots of different types of people. Um, so that's really important. And I think that living that and demonstrating that is such an integral part of learning for youth and especially youth who are learning how to organize in the world now. And um, I'm excited to see what they do with the tools that we've given them, you know? So we've given them tools around activism. We've given them tools around, you know, how to think about social justice, how to be in community, how to organize community, how to be resourceful and um, how to be artists. And now it's, you know, it's our, I think parents always say this or, 
you know, older generations say this, but it's sort of like time to step back and just see what the young people are going to do now. Right. right. Um, what do you, what do you think is coming? I mean, can you like foresee a direction in, in their work? Yeah. Like I think that the young people, I mean, there's really, really powerful movements around young people doing abolitionist work um, and doing work on climate change. And I think that it's got to be them because they're the ones inheriting this world and they're the ones who really should have a say in what happens and how it happens. Um, my daughter has been working Lucha some and then, um, yeah, I, I've been really pleased to see the young people organizing all these ways when um, the Black Lives Matter uprising was happening. That was another really beautiful thing we were able to do here was um, I organized with a handful of other um, BIPOC activists who've been in this work for a long time. And because I was sort of watching the young people really want to take action and taking action, but not having experience, especially here in, in Tucson, I think, you know, um, so we were able to create a Skillshare for young organizers and just like have the space, even among COVID times, like have the outside space where we could sort of practice things safely and give them these really important tools to be able to activate and protest and, and do things with the most information possible. Um, and I love being in the position to do that and then just being able to support them in what they want to do. Incredible. I, I'm here for it. And I, I think we're in good hands. <laughs> uh, they're ready. Mm-hmm. What is moving you in this moment, literally, artistically, emotionally, culturally? And also, if you can share, what is next for Splinter Collective? What are some things that are on the docket and how can listeners find find out more and get involved? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the thing that's moving me most, I mean, I mentioned Alok and um, there's a number of other artists I could mention like that, that I think are really just shifting culture and changing culture. You know, I've been deeply a part of the LGBTQIA plus community for, you know, many decades. And so I'm super interested in art that's in queer space. Um, But I think it is so exciting to me to see how that stuff is becoming so much more mainstream now, you know, versus 25 years ago when I felt like we had these beautiful little pockets here and there, but they were really hard to find and hard to maintain. Um, And yeah, building these kind of communities and of BIPOC artists and, and especially queer BIPOC artists is just so yummy it's this space where there's so much happening right now and it's really thrilling um we have amazing artists here in town that are are doing that work as well and um part of those communities and it's really beautiful um and and i'm so grateful to be able to host that a lot of these happenings in these spaces um there's some really wonderful younger collectives of queer bipoc folks who are creating art in all these really beautiful intentional ways and um they're just it's it's just so good to see what they're doing um as for what's next for splinter collective i mentioned earlier that you know i'm really interested in artistic solutions to social justice and having 
that kind of or to social issues. And so one of the things that I've been working really hard in the um, housing justice space lately, especially because this neighborhood where we are has a lot, a lot of folks um, living outside and living in a camp nearby, an encampment. And, you know, there's this, the city keeps sweeping them and there's just this huge, huge, huge housing housing crisis here, an eviction crisis, a lack of affordable housing, like all of that stuff. And it's really impacting Tucson in particular so heavily. Um, and so something, and, and just, there's just a lack of resources. And so, you know, we provide what we can to the community by, you know, allowing folks to use the water, having um, a charging station where people can, can land and just have some respite. And we do a lot of work with kind of eviction defense around people getting kicked out of the camp or the park getting swept. We've been fighting with the city to try to keep the camp, the park bathrooms open for the last year and a half. They've been locked. And so we've created this um, bathroom access coalition where we're working with a number of, of different community groups to try and advocate for open bathrooms in the city, open public bathrooms. Um, we've had some success, but that's a, that's a really big thing that I'm excited to actually see changing. And one of the things that I'm excited about doing is as Splinter Collective kind of creating these artistic responses to these issues. So I'm just thinking about now, like one, I'm writing another grant to try to, um, get a couple of artists to beautify the charging station area and to kind of create these welcoming public spaces that we can have here. Um, I also have um, a few different like mural projects involved, but then I'm also interested in finding all these ways to work with the community that lives outside in co-creating artistic spaces that provide some resources for folks. And um, so that's, that's the thing I'm excited about doing. I'm excited about building a residency program into Splinter Collective and really interested in hosting artists from other places who are doing that same kind of work, looking at this intersection between art and social justice. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. And just continuing to have lots more events and, and keep providing the resource for community members to throw these benefits for <clears throat> community organizations or individuals and um, just keep creating a vibrant and thriving art space. And if you're interested in finding out about Splinter Collective, um, our website is splintercollective.com. There's a calendar of events there. And we're also on Instagram, Splinter Collective 520 and Facebook. And you can find me on nataliebrewsterwin.com or nataliebrewsterwin on all of the social medias. Beautiful, Natalie. This has been such an invigorating and inspiring conversation. I just really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me today. Yeah, yeah. Really grateful for the opportunity. And it's just nice to hear your voice. It's been a minute. Likewise. This has been Artist Stories, featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. To listen to more podcasts, visit kxci.org. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County. Music for this podcast was created by Jonathan Rodriguez. Mm -hmm.